Thank you, Lord, that that third day you rose again. Your son came forth. And because he lives, we too can live and have everlasting life. Father, I pray that as we go to the cross this morning in our minds and hearts, we recall that sacrifice. Father, may we remember what it cost for our salvation and for our sins to be cleansed. And thank you, Lord, for the hope we have beyond the grave because Jesus is alive. Now bless our hearts and speak to us, we pray, as we open your word. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 27. On this Palm Sunday, we think of Jesus entering Jerusalem as the people begin to shout Hosanna and sing his praises. And it looks like they're going to have a king. They're going to have a king. But of course, things turn quickly. As the plot was set to betray Jesus, to have him arrested, and according to the will of God and his plan, be nailed to a cross and be sacrificed for the sins of the world. But this morning I wanted us to go back and stand before that cross as we head into Easter week and Good Friday. I wanted to take a look here, and I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those who were there, okay? As we, as we look at the picture given to us in the Gospels of the day Jesus died, the day he was crucified, we see incredible things take place as the Son of God's life ebbed away. And... God chose to demonstrate to those who were there. He wanted to demonstrate his power and to affirm that that man nailed to that cross is his son, the Lord Jesus. And so there were some miracles that took place at the cross. And sometimes we just tend to overlook these. And it's easy to just read the story and, uh, and, and we forget what took place and every single miracle that we are going to look at that took place at Calvary, I believe we can apply to our own personal lives today and bring encouragement if we are believers in Jesus Christ, encouragement to our hearts in the, the trials that you're going through maybe and, and, and the the pain you may be suffering. But here we're going to pick it up at verse 45. Verse 45. So now, remember, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Okay, and, and they had already, all the things had, had taken place uh, where they, they cast lots for his garments, the robbers on each side of him, the people hurling insults at Jesus as he hung there on the cross. So, uh, again, from <clears throat> uh, Jesus was nailed on the cross at 9 a.m. 
and he breathed his last breath at 3 p.m. But look what Matthew says, writes here in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Suddenly darkness covered the land as Jesus was dying there. God had his, his timetable. God was controlling the clock. And he allowed the people to mock his son, to nail him and, to the cross and, and make fun of him. But then at 12 noon, God said, I am going to shut off the lights so that you can't even see my son. I'm going to demonstrate to you through this miracle that my, my son is dying right before your eyes. And so here, God shut off the sun. He blackened the sun. Darkness fell on the whole land at 12 noon and lasted the three hours until Jesus cried his last breath. Look at verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him. And so here Jesus Christ experienced something he had never experienced in all of eternity. And that was feeling separated from his heavenly father. As if his father just turned his back on his son. And he felt this is the only time in all of eternity that he would feel no fellowship and union with the father. While he was going through the, the crucifixion. That Jesus here, his heart was broken and he was carrying the sins of the world on himself. And God sent darkness in the land. And suddenly you can imagine standing there now and suddenly everything goes dark. Now some people try and explain it away as well. It must have been just an eclipse. Eclipse only lasts for a few minutes. It doesn't last for three hours. And secondly, according to the, the timetable of when Jesus died, and at this particular time, at the time of Passover every year, there is a full moon. You can't have an eclipse full moon. Natural science can't explain this darkness, but it came. And God laid the darkness down upon the land. He was sending a message to those there at the cross that this is the darkest day in history. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 10. Let's go to Exodus together. I want you to see how we can connect this with what God did 
um, when the Israelites were slaves to Egypt and Moses came with God's command to Pharaoh, let his people go. But Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, look at 21 through 23 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky. And there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Can you imagine how darkness that can be felt? I don't know what the, what the darkest time you've ever, uh, you've ever been in a place where it's complete blackness, darkness. But this was a different kind of darkness that, that God sent as a plague. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Isn't that amazing that in the midst of this thick darkness, God made sure that the lights would work and shine. The fires would shine in the homes of the Israelites. But I find interesting the number of days. Notice that? How many days did God allow the darkness? Three. The third day? Third day he rose. Darkness from the moment he died, Jesus died, until the day he rose from the dead. And then, that number three. Three hours, from noon till three o'clock. God put darkness over the land when his son died. God used darkness, and he, he has always used darkness, to give a picture of sin. It, that word darkness is used over and over again in the scriptures concerning our sin and the life that we all live before we come to Jesus Christ. Peter preached that one day the sun and the, and the moon would turn to darkness. And that is what is going to take place in the future. Turn to Revelation chapter 6 with me. Just flip over to Revelation 6. And again, how God is going to use darkness when his son returns. He used, brought darkness when he died. But now look at Revelation 6, verse 12. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, of course, this is the picture in heaven. And this is during the tribulation period. And Jesus is about to return to earth and conquer the wicked nations of the earth. And we, his bride, will come with him. And I looked, when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. And verse 13, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Notice what's going to happen one day. We won't be there. We'll be in heaven. 
But God is going to send darkness over all the world once again. He's going to blot out the sun as his son comes from glory with us and his saints and, and his angels. And he's going to set up his kingdom and destroy the Antichrist. And he's going to bring victory and he's going to bring that light to all the world, that righteous light. There will, and, and one day we know what, it's, what the scriptures say about it, that one day there will be no more night, no more darkness. But here, again, we see God using darkness. Darkness speaks of the judgment of God. And so if I were standing at that cross and this kind of darkness fell over me, and I did not know this Savior. I did not believe he was the Son of God. How would I feel? I would be trembling. I would, I would be uh, frozen. I would be scared for my life. And that's exactly what was taking place in the hearts of, the, uh, of those that were there. Of course, there were those who trusted Christ and knew him as Savior. And so they believed in him. So they need not fear. But the first miracle is darkness. And the encouragement to all of us this morning as believers is that the Lord removed you from the darkness. He took you out of your sin, placed you in his eternal light. And there you will be forever and ever. And so no longer are you living in darkness but he delivered us from darkness. Colossians 1.13. He delivers us from the power of darkness. So take heart, my friends. If you know Christ this morning, you can have assurance that, that you need not be afraid of the dark. How many kids get afraid in the dark? How many of you are still afraid of the dark when you, at night? Some, some adults are. Just the darkness and, and little kids when it gets dark at night. But the Lord Jesus... When he died, darkness came on, on the land, and he therefore gave the world a sign that Jesus was taking our sins upon himself, and he was darkened because of our iniquities. But let's look on then. We have the next miracle that takes place. Look at then... Look, go back with me to Matthew chapter 27. And after Jesus cried his, his uh, last, look at verse 50. There in Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This was the moment that after all the darkness, suddenly Jesus gave up his spirit to his father breathed his last breath, and at that loud voice, then things really began to happen. And we see the next miracle, the beginning of verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's stop there right now. Top to bottom. Now, I'm sure some of you have have studied or heard about the, the, the veil that hung between uh, uh, the, the area of the outer temple and the Holy of Holies, 
where only the priest could go through the veil where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And that was the Holy of Holies that God said, this is where I live. This is my presence. You cannot enter unless you are the high priest to bring in the sacrifice, the blood to sprinkle for the sins of my people. But here we see that God decided to send a message to the high priests and those that were in the temple at this time. That veil, that veil was about, they say, about four, five inches thick. It was 30 feet wide, 60 feet high. And they're standing there. What's amazing is that at this particular time of day, they were getting ready to make the sacrifice there in the temple. And so picture yourself there as a high priest, and suddenly the veil is torn, but not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. And when they saw that, that can only tell you one thing. God took that veil and tore it apart. Only God could do it, and he sent a message. He sent a message, a wonderful message to you and I and, and to those who would trust in Jesus. And we can now enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into his presence, and we cannot be af- don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be uh, fearful of him. Because now he has made a way, a partition. Hebrews 4.16, we read, Let us therefore come boldly before what? The throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. That the only way we can come boldly before the throne of grace is if God had removed the veil. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus breathed his last breath. This miracle took place. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to Hebrews 10 together, verse 19 and 20. Again, the writer of Hebrews. He spends much time explaining how Jesus took away the partition. The heavenly partition so that we could now enter God's presence. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the... I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in nine here. I'm in nine. Uh, but 10:19. <laughs> Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. His flesh. See, the veil represented the flesh of Jesus Christ being torn on the cross. And verse 21, And since we have a great high priest... Over the house of God, let us draw near. Nobody could ever draw near because of that curtain, that veil. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure 
water. The writer here is telling us that anyone can now enter the presence of God, but they have to come through the blood of Christ. They have to enter by the way of the cross. That's the only way. And how sad, if you're here this morning without the Lord Jesus in your heart and life, you've never put your faith and trust in him. There, you are in a darkness. You are in your own darkness because of your sin. And there's no way you can approach God and enter his heaven unless you come by way of Jesus Christ. And you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who took your sins and your punishment. And there on the cross, he took your place. And if you would but trust him and receive him by faith, he cleanses you of, your, of all your sin, forgives you, and robes you in his righteousness. That can happen today if it, you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior. But until you do that, you will leave here and remain in darkness and one day spend eternity in the ultimate land of darkness called hell, the lake of fire. You know what's interesting? I don't know if you ever caught this, but when you read about the, the lake of fire in, the, in Revelation, and we read what that's going to be like, it's going to be dark. It, there's going to be complete darkness in the lake of fire. How can that be? It's supposed to be a lake of fire. How can it be dark when you've got the, uh, a fire going? God is, has made hell dark. So, that, you know, some people will tell you, they, you know, they'll say, well, hey, my friends are all going to be in hell. So that's where I want to be. And, and they think of, they're just going to have a party down there or something. That's the mindset of those who don't know Christ, many. But little do they realize that there's going to be other, utter, utter, utter darkness. They're not going to be able to see each other, anyone else, but they're going to feel the pain. My friends, the exciting thing is we have received a way into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? That means when I come through Christ, there is no more any condemnation. I don't have to stand feeling guilty and I'm not condemned anymore in his presence. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans 8 with me. Verse 1. Romans 8, 1. Paul writes to the church at Rome. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation. Maybe, dear Christian, you came in here and, and your sin, whatever sin it was that maybe you, that you committed, and you've, you, you've confessed it to the Lord, you've asked his forgiveness, but yet you still have this feeling of condemnation that God can't forgive you that he'll know he will he will he, that 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 sin is is always with you that how could God forgive me and you have that feeling of condemnation dear Christian 
go to this verse and realize today that there is no condemnation in Christ, that you are not condemned. Yes, your sins are forgiven you. Yes, you need to confess that sin, but understand and really get a grasp of John, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is, no condemnation. Dear Christian, I hope that you can lay that burden today at the cross and realize that the Lord Jesus, through his death and shed blood, allowed his father to rip apart that veil, and you are now uh, part of the family of God. You belong to him, and there's no condemnation. So let's go back together then, Matthew 27. And then we come to the next miracle that took place there in the darkness. Of course, the temple veil was torn in two. Look at the rest of verse 51. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The earth shook and the rocks were split. God chose that hour to send an earthquake that, again, sent a message to those that were there that this is my son. You crucified him. And the sending of the earthquake had two purposes. One was the next miracle that we're going to read, where the tombs were open. But the, the other one, an earthquake represents, again, the judgment of God. God used earthquakes throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, Old Testament. If you look at different occasions, God would use an earthquake to judge his people and, and judge other nations. And it's interesting, we won't take time to turn to it, but in Exodus 19, that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the law, as, as the people were gathered at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, and they saw lightning and heard thunder on top of the mountain, and, and God sent an earthquake there at Mount Sinai. And this was a sign that God's law is being given, and everyone is judged under that law. Here again, this should frighten anyone who does not know Christ. Judgment is coming. The scripture speaks of it. It's going to come upon the unbeliever. And that should urge us as Christians to seek to lead our loved ones and friends to the cross and introduce them to Jesus Christ, the one who will forgive them and save them from that day of judgment. Here it is, an earthquake. God uses earthquakes for judgment. And sometimes we, ha we feel like in our lives we, we're going through an earthquake. Do you feel that way today? Maybe your situation is such 
that you just feel like your, your world has been shaken. God has allowed it. And you're wondering, Lord, why do you, why do you allow this? I don't understand. It may be because of, of, of from consequences, from decisions we made. Or it may just be the, the troubles of life, the problems of life, and the sorrow and, and the pain of a loss of a loved one or tragedy or uh, some other kind of maybe cancer. And, and suddenly your world is shaken. God wants you to understand, dear believer, that he controls the earthquakes. He is in absolute control of every earthquake. And whatever earthquake symbolically that you're going through in your life, God is controlling the intensity and he knows exactly when he's going to say stop. Just like he did the waters on the Sea of Galilee when the, his disciples were frightened, Jesus was teaching them a lesson of faith. And they had to, they had to look, keep their eyes on Jesus. And then Jesus came at the right time and said, peace be still. And in that time, there will come a time when the Lord will say, peace be still to your earthquake. Don't know when that's going to be, but hold on to that promise and that truth. So here we are. We see that the earth shook. We see the earthquake. A miracle took place, this earthquake, just at the, t the timing of it. And then the rocks were split. And now look at verse 52. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And verse 53. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Here is the next miracle that took place. The dead were raised. The saints who had died, many of them, their graves were open. Now notice it says there, the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tomb. But when did they come out of the tomb? After his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. So basically think of it of it this way and picture it that the when that earth shook rocks were split suddenly god opened through that earthquake opened up all these graves of the saints that were around jerusalem and they cracked open and and there so that the bodies could come out of the graves and there people wondered well did they come out of their grave immediately because it says they, they went into the city after his resurrection. Well, most Bible scholars believe that the graves were open, but they were not yet resurrected. The bodies were there in the grave from Friday uh, at that moment at 3 o'clock until uh, the day of the resurrection. And after Jesus rose from the dead, then God uh, gave them back their bodies and raised them up and so they could actually climb out of the tomb and go into the city and see their friends and loved ones. Can you imagine this? Why is God doing this? Why did God do something like this? Again, he wanted to show the world that he has the power to raise the dead. 
And he has the power to raise you and I from the dead. And that will take place one day because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Resurrection day is coming. Turn to Romans 6 with me quickly. And then we will come to the last miracle. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Here the Apostle Paul speaks of crucifixion and death, but the death of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 3, Romans 6. Let's pick it up at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? When he died, we died with him. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, here's a guarantee, certainly we shall also be made in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, there's going to come a day when we are going to be uh, raised from the dead. When the trumpet sounds, the, Jesus is returning for his saints. Not the final return to earth, but in the clouds. Suddenly the trumpet will sound, dead in Christ will what? Rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and our bodies will be transformed, changed in the moment and twinkling of an eye. So shall we ever be with the Lord along with those loved ones who are in the graves right now. Their bodies are going to be resurrected. Why should I fear death? Why should I be afraid of that? Because as we heard it sung and Dale mentioned it this morning, that the sting of death is gone. And that's why Paul said, wrote to the Corinthian church. And he basically is saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There is none if we are in Christ today. We have everlasting life and we will be resurrected from the dead. This should be an encouragement to all of us, this miracle, that he is one day going to resurrect my body and make it like his own body how beautiful it is but again this should uh should bring uh those who do not know christ to their knees because there's going to be a a resurrection of the dead for those who were unbelievers and we know what that's all about when you look at revelation when we read there's going to be the great white throne and all the dead from all the ages will be resurrected. But they're not being resurrected unto life. They're being resurrected unto eternal death. They're going to stand before Jesus Christ on the, at the great white throne judgment. And then they're going to be found guilty because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. They've never trusted Christ as Savior. And therefore, they are condemned. They stand condemned. At the, and you and I, we will not be at this judgment. 
You will not stand as a believer before the great white throne judgment. But those who don't know Christ, they will be judged, and then they will be cast according to their works, what degrees of punishment they will receive, but they will be cast into the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. This should, should frighten those who continue to refuse Jesus Christ and to accept him. They still want to go their own way, the broad path. But it should bring encouragement to our hearts, dear friends. But look with me now, go back to Matthew chapter 27 and look at the last miracle we find. It's a different kind of miracle. And it happened to one who was standing at the cross and experiencing all these other miracles. Verse 54, now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There it is, confession of faith. Now, if we look at Mark's, we won't turn to it, but in Mark's account, in Mark, Mark's account, Mark's 15, we read this. When the centurion was standing right in front of him, Jesus, he saw the way he breathed his last breath. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So here it says, uh, the centurion and others said this, but Mark narrows it down and says, this centurion, it's all about this centurion here. He's standing. Think of it. The one who took the hammer, the one who brought his soldiers out, the one who was in, uh, in, in the praetorium, where Jesus was, was mocked and made fun of by the Roman soldiers, this centurion was there. And he saw that Jesus said nothing, that Jesus kept his mouth closed and endured the suffering. Then he led his men, because the centurion was, was one of the top leaders uh, and, and officers during the crucifixion. And so he went out to Golgotha, and there his men nailed Jesus to the cross, and he, he was overseeing the whole thing. But he's standing, and suddenly he watches the darkness come. And then suddenly he feels the earthquake. And then he looks at Jesus, and he hears Jesus' voice cry with a loud voice. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he cried, it is finished. And it, as that, it is at that point that this centurion soldier, this tough soldier, who fought many battles for Rome. Now, God got a hold of his heart through these miracles. And he did the greatest miracle of all by saving this centurion and transforming his heart, his hardened heart, so that this great tough centurion is suddenly broken and he realizes that he's standing before the son of God who's being crucified. And here's the statement of faith. My friends, a statement of faith by this centurion that he 
saw it all, took in, and this is exactly why God allowed these things to happen, these other miracles to take place on the day of crucifixion. He sent them so that people might be saved. And God has his ways of, of saving people, different ones. And he may use an earthquake. He, he may use something else uh, in their life to get their attention. But how wonderful to know that we, we once stood in this, the shoes of that centurion. But there was a point where we looked to that cross and we saw the Son of God and said, I believe he is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he took my sins. And then at that point, we had a, a heart that was, was forgiven, cleansed. The sin was, was washed away by the blood of Christ. There, here's an amazing story. As I close with this, talk about an earthquake that transformed a person's life. Here's a testimony given on September 20th, 2016, by a girl named Angela. My name is Angela B., and I am from South Africa. I'm about to reveal a miracle that took place in my life two years ago. In fact, I was on the verge of death, and God saved me in a way I could never imagine. I was in my late 20s, a single mom, a new employee at work. I had done everything, go I had everything going for me, but I still felt empty. I had just separated from my father, the father of my child, and I yearned for marriage. At 28, I felt the time was no longer on my side, and I longed for that long commitment. To tell the truth, I did not know Jesus then, didn't know him, and I hardly prayed, ever, never really went to church. And got a new job, but then got involved with the manager in an affair, which ruined his life and mine. It was a serious love affair that brought shame and guilt to me. And then when he left, I felt my world came apart. I was in a dark place. I was shattered. My colleagues started gossiping because they knew of the affair. And, and they were gossiping about what happened, and I was embarrassed. I couldn't face going to work anymore. I felt ashamed. And I felt there's nothing that's going to take this pain away. On the morning of the 5th of August, 2014... I had collected around 100 different pills that I intended to drink. It was my birthday, and I remember thinking to myself that I was better off dead. I would be doing everyone a favor. Surely my daughter deserved a better mom. I prepared a long glass of water and had the pills in my hand. My life flashed before me as I began taking the pills one by one. Then after ta having taken around 12 pills... The earth shook. It shook literally. I was sitting on my bed crying and taking another pill when I, suddenly I felt the bed move. I stopped for a moment and thought maybe I was hallucinating. 
I ignored the moving bed and tried to take another pill, but the shakings became more apparent and more aggressive. I stood up and went into the kitchen. And when I got there, I realized it wasn't only the bed moving, but all the furniture and everything on the walls. It was truly an earthquake. I quickly turned on the radio, heard the announcement that this earthquake had truly struck. And it was at that point that everything turned around. I had a major turnaround. Because of that earthquake, I completely forgot that I wanted to take my life. I then disposed of the rest of the pills. I pulled myself together. And then I began to think, this isn't just a regular earthquake. But I believe God is speaking to me. Reprimanding me and reminding me that he has a purpose for my life. And, I, and it would be worth living. God had saved my life that day. I was so amazed and overwhelmed with what had happened, I decided to go to church on the coming Sunday. And during the service, there was a lady who gave a testimony similar to what I had been through. In fact, it felt as though she was describing me. I saw myself in her, and at that moment, I knew that Jesus was talking to me. I then stood up, and I went to the front, and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The emotion and joy I felt that very moment is indescribable. The happiest day of my life. Suddenly my life had meaning. I was a child of God and I knew he loved me. Dear friends, what did it take to bring you to Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and, and something's been happening in your life and you, suddenly God's gotten your attention. He's saying, come to my son, come to Jesus and accept him, trust him by faith. And you will have forgiveness of sins. You'll have a life worth living and you'll have a purpose for living because he brings life, everlasting life. Let's pray together. As we close this morning, dear Christian, if you're discouraged, feeling guilt from past sin, you're broken over a loss, some heartache, some sickness, and you just feel it. You feel like God's condemned you. You still feel condemned. You feel God can't forgive you. God's forsaken you. He hasn't. Would you lay your burden now at the cross? Lay your guilt feelings Lay your fears and, your, and whatever you're going through at the foot of this cross and give them to Jesus today. And he will bring you peace. He'll bring you peace that passes all understanding. It's yours if you will but, dear Christian, surrender it to him. Your feelings, your emotions, your past, whatever it is, lay it at the foot of the cross. And you will find your spirit will be freed again. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior right now. Right where you sit, with our heads bowed. If you've never trusted Christ to save you, would you pray this prayer with me now? If you truly believe that he is the Son of God, and you know that he's the only way 
to heaven and you know you're a sinner and need forgiveness, would you make that decision now? Just pray a simple prayer like this with me now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ at this moment, you have been born again. You have been given a new heart, a new spirit. Jesus has entered your life, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Your sins have been forgiven. You're part of the family of God. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for once again speaking through your word. Thank you again for giving your son again for us. Father, may we walk in victory, knowing that we walk in new life. That one day, Lord, we shall be resurrected from the dead and we shall be with our Lord and Savior forever and ever. Father, comfort us by these words and these truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.